0: welcome again. Uh, This is the third time. I'll go one more time when we do communion, but uh, I'm filling in for Pastor Richard this morning. I'm excited to do that. Uh, If you don't know me, I hope all of you do. Uh, I am uh, the assistant pastor here, and uh, Pastor Richard has asked me to fill in in his absence. Uh, Normally, I preach the afternoon service, and so if you ever want to join us for the afternoon, we'd love to have you. Uh, But today, uh, we're going to be shifting from 1 Timothy, given that Pastor Richard is out of town, uh, to look at a most interesting book, the book of Hebrews. And uh, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter four, which happens to be uh, a concise statement, we find a concise statement of the whole purpose of the letter that the author uh, has written to this uh, Hebrew congregation, a Jewish Christian congregation. Uh, this is the whole purpose of his letter, which, as we'll read in verse four in chapter four, verse 14 to verse 16, that uh, these individuals have in Jesus a great high priest. Now, for us, we might say, well, what does it matter to me that I have a high priest? Well, what the author of Hebrews is going to set out for us to be able to understand today is that every single individual, every single human who has ever lived is in desperate need of a high priest in order that they would be able to have their go between uh, between them being sinful man and God who is holy and just and pure. We're going to see why Jesus as our great high priest is so vitally important for us in the Christian life, Uh, namely because we do not need to fall back from our profession in Him. We do not need to fall into temptation because of Him. Uh, He will give us strength to resist the temptation. And also, because Jesus is our great high priest, we can go to God in prayer whenever and wherever we are for the strength that we might need. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 to 16 says this, Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have this blessed opportunity to come before your Word and and to be able to consider this, this valuable, valuable passage of Scripture here today, which is so important for us to be able to realize and understand for our Christian life, even now. That we are not far removed from this idea of having a priest, but rather, God, Jesus exists as a priest forever, and we know that as He is a priest forever, we need Him in His priestly work. God, help us to see the great value in the priestly work of Christ. Even if uh, today we know nothing of it, I pray that You would, by Your Spirit, guide us into not only understanding what His priestly work is all about, but also to have a, a... a hunger to learn more about uh, the priestly work of Jesus, knowing that it is through Jesus, our great high priest, that we are able to find strength and and, and to have the grace and mercy that we need in our great times of need. I ask these things in the name of our great high priest, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, the idea that man needs a priest is something which may perplex the mind of many of us uh, modern individuals. We often, when we think about a priest, have ideas in our mind that are conjured up, maybe from pop culture or things that we've read in uh, old books or encyclopedias, which have the priest, generally the pagan priest, who is doing these incantations and doing their magic spells, and and they're trying to conjure up the gods, and there's a bunch of smoke and all this crazy stuff happening. that's, That's one idea that we have about a priest, and we say, well, I don't need anything with that. That's just craziness, right? Well, there's also another type of priesthood that exists in our day that we are certainly familiar with, uh, even if we have not come out of the Catholic Church, we are aware that the Catholic Church still operates under a priestly order where the individuals within the Catholic Church need to go to their priest to confess their sins to their priest. Their priest would deliver their sacraments to them. He would deliver the Eucharist. He would deliver their last rites because their priest is standing as somewhat of a go-between between between them and God. They need this priest, quote-unquote, to be able to bring them into the presence of God. Now, of the only priesthood that I'm going to mention today that is biblical, uh, we know that there is a priesthood from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament system, this priesthood was called the Levitical priesthood. And under the Old Covenant, when God instituted the Old Covenant uh, through Moses as His intermediary, uh, Moses set forward a priestly order which would be overseen by the tribe of Levi, which has come to be known as the Levitical priestly order. And within this system, what they would do is they would stand as the go-between between between God and men. And the people were to be dependent upon God to be able to uh, have their sins forgiven, to be able to present their requests to God, to be able to even have somewhat of a semblance of a relationship with the God who they knew was their creator and their Lord and their sustainer. They needed this priest to stand as a go-between. Now, why do we need a priest? Why is it that every single individual who has ever lived or will ever live, why do we need a priest? Well, as First Timothy 6, verse 16 says, God alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To Him be honor and eternal dominion. You see, God dwells in an unapproachable light. For man to seek to try to enter into the presence of God without a go-between or a representative or a mediator would find themselves, like those in the Old Testament who tried to subvert God's order, they would find themselves dying. They would be killed for entering into the presence of our holy God. These priests would be necessary to bring the people to God, and yet under the Levitical priestly order, all that they really served to do was to be a reminder of their own sinfulness. These Levitical priests were themselves beset with sin. They were sinners. They were not able to totally and completely bring people into the presence of God, their holy creator. You see, the Levitical priesthood served as a copy or a shadow of the perfect priestly system which God had established long before the Levitical system ever would come to be about. You see, under the Levitical system, access to God was veiled quite literally. God was unapproachable. If you're familiar with any of the Old Covenant, uh, and it's important for us to be that way as believers uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ because the Old Covenant points to Him, if we're familiar with it, we know that God set an order for the people to be able to enter into His presence It was quite veiled, though. In the tabernacle, they would have the outer court, the inner court, and then the innermost court where God Himself dwelt upon the mercy seat. In the temple, you had the outer court, you had the inner court where the priest would go and offer the sacrifices, and then you would have the most holy place where the high priest would go one time of year to offer up the sacrifice on the most holy place or on the mercy seat where God Himself dwelt among the people of Israel. These individuals would be, uh, in, in some semblance, being able to enter into the presence of God, but it was not all of Israel that could do this. Rather, it was only the great high priest who could do this, and it was once a year for a minuscule amount of time because if he stood in the presence of God too long, what would happen to him was immediate death. They actually tied a rope with a bell around him uh, in order that they would be able to know if he was still alive or if he needed some help, he could ring the bell, and they would drag him out because they were not going to enter into the presence of God. They could not. They knew that it spelled immediate death for them as sinners to enter into the presence of God who alone is holy. You see, the Levitical system could not bring about total cleansing from sin. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 3, he says, But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. And beyond this, even those who served as priests were themselves polluted with their sins. And even the high priest, again, who entered into God's presence, had to offer a sacrifice for sins before he himself could go into God's very presence. You see, this was a system which was put in place by God to be a temporary system until the priestly order of Christ would be brought about through his blood being shed for us where he would be crowned as the great high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You see, God had planned, he had uh, foreordained before even the foundation of the world that man in their sin, though they would need a priest and though he would call for them to operate under a priestly system for some time, that there would come a day when man would have a great high priest where they did not need to go to some earthly priest, where they would not need to go to some man who was polluted with sin and who was beset with sin and who constantly died so that when they died, they had to get a new priest, and after that priest died, they had to get another priest. Rather, they would have a priest who would last forever, who they would always be able to enter into the presence of God by, and that is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. You see, the Levitical priesthood, amen. The Levitical priesthood could not last forever because it could not it could not allow man to enter into God's presence. God, who is holy, could not just say, "Well, you know, I've covered your sin. I've not forgiven them. I've covered them, and so come on into my presence." God could not do that. God, who is just and holy and pure and righteous, could not be stained by the presence of sin or sinners, and so therefore there needed to be a system a system that he himself would ordain that would be able to not only see man's sins cleansed for all of eternity, but also that this person who sacrificed himself for the forgiveness of all mankind would be able to stand forever as that go-between between God and men. You see, we need we need a priest, and the Levitical priestly order could not bring about what we need. The Catholic priestly order cannot bring about what we need. The pagan priestly order cannot bring about what we need. Rather, the only priest who can bring about what we need is the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God, who is rich in grace and mercy, never intended to leave us in such a desperate condition where we never were able to enter into His presence. He did not intend to ever leave us in this point where we would find ourselves constantly grabbing and seeking and trying to find the one who has created us, who we have lost fellowship with because we ourselves have sinned and fallen short of His glory. Rather, God intended to make a way to bring us back into His presence, but it was necessary that we would have a representative to do just that. And again, this is Jesus Christ who was spoken of in the Old Testament, that He would be the one to recognize reconcile man to God and bring us, so to speak, back into the presence of God, taking our hand and leading us into the very throne room of God, who alone, who alone is holy and glorious and mighty, who all of us, who all of us desire to be with for all of eternity through our faith in Jesus Christ. You see, in the Old Testament, Jesus was spoken of as the prophet who would come, In the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1, we learn that Jesus is the final word. God has spoken His final word through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was spoken of as being the King of kings and Lord of lords, coming as the Messiah to reign and rule over all of creation, of which He will do in His second coming. And Jesus was also spoken of in this small little verse, tucked away in Psalm 110, verse 4, to be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In Psalm 110, verse 4, it says, "...the Lord has sworn, and will not change His mind, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek." Jesus is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, and for us as believers, we may be not understanding what this means for us. I mean, how many times have you heard that Jesus is your great high priest after the order of Melchizedek, and how many times have you seen that as any sort of value for you in your Christian life? I stand here today to tell you that it is of utmost importance that Jesus continues to live as our great high priest after the order of Melchizedek, for if we did not have him as our great high priest, we would never be able to enter into the presence of God. You see, the Levitical priesthood was good. It was ordained by God, but it was always to be a temporary priestly order. The Melchizedek priesthood is far greater because it is ruled with righteousness and with peace. And Jesus, being a priest after the order of Melchizedek, serves as the high priest forever. So we need not worry of his death. We need not worry that somehow or some way he might lose this office. Rather, Jesus is our great high priest forever. And this returns us back to our text here in Hebrews chapter 4, where the author of Hebrews is going to set out three most valuable ways why Jesus being our great high priest matters for us in the Christian life. Why this is not some obscure idea, why this is not just something that was for the Old Testament system, but rather in the New Testament system, we desperately need Jesus as our great high priest. And there are three vital reasons why we need Jesus as our great high priest. You see, in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1, before we get to that, the whole point of the author of Hebrews' letter, and from verse, chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to chapter 13, verse 25, the whole purpose of his letter is stated in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. Now, the point in what we are saying is this We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Now again, you say to me, well, we're far removed from this program. We've gone beyond this. No, no, no. We must not ever think that we do not need a priest. We need a priest. That There is only one priest who can fulfill what we need, and that is Jesus Christ. The first reason that we need Jesus as our great high priest is shown to us in verse 14. He says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. We can, with Jesus as our great high priest, hold fast to our confession of faith in Him. You see, what is happening here for the believers that are written to in the book of Hebrews is they are finding themselves dealing with intense persecution. Their persecution is far greater than anything we could ever imagine. They have found themselves suffering at the hand of their family members and their friends because these, being Jewish Christians, have left the Judaistic faith and have entered into the Christian faith, of which we know, if we read through the book of Acts, Paul suffered greatly for at the hands of the unbelieving Jews. They hated Jesus, and they hated anyone or anything that had a relationship to Jesus Christ, who is the Messiah. They hated anything related to Jesus. And so, therefore, these individuals, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ... We're facing extreme, extreme persecution. And what the author of Hebrews says is, with Jesus as your great high priest, even though you are suffering for His name's sake, you do not need to re- uh, uh, re- remove your profession of faith in Him. To make a profession or a confession of faith in Jesus Christ meant they were going to face persecution from their family members or from their friends who they had left the Judaistic system in. But to continue in Jesus was of utmost importance for them because if they had left the faith and had gone back into Judaism, this would spell disaster for their faith because Jesus, as the great high priest, is the only one who has the power to save. If we are to think about this maybe in more common terms or modern terms to hold fast to our confession of faith, it is to say we must not deny Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Rather, we must continue in Him, continue in that profession of faith, continue proclaiming that He is Lord and Savior, even if it means being persecuted to the death by any individual. Jesus, as our High Priest, gives us the ability, the fortitude to be able to continue with our profession of faith if we seek him out as our great high priest again these individuals they're facing this religious persecution religious in the sense that they're losing their property. Uh, if you were a Jew, you know that being Jewish was not only a religious system, but it was also a cultural system. It pervaded all aspects of their life. And so if they were to leave the Judaistic system, they were not just leaving some religion, they were leaving They were leaving a culture behind. They were leaving their livelihoods behind, everything behind. And so they lost their family members and their friends, their houses, uh, their jobs, whatever you might think. They had to flee from the persecution that they were faced with. Now, what is the tendency for someone when they face persecution? Well, I need to avoid this. I need to stop doing what I'm doing so that that persecution might go away. Now, for these individuals, the temptation was to go back to Judaism, and many did. And so what the author of Hebrews sets out to do is to say, don't go back to Judaism. Don't go back to your old priest. Don't go back to the old system. Rather, turn to Jesus Christ and trust in Him alone as your great high priest who has passed into the heaven of heavens. You do not have a high priest who is serving in an earthly temple. You do not have a high priest who is serving among men. Rather, he is seated at the right hand of the Father. You don't need to fear whatever man might do to you because you have in your great high priest one who is able to give you the strength to move forward. You see, for an individual to go back from their profession of faith spells disaster for them. They make shipwreck of their faith, and in what is one of the most warning, uh, uh, most scary of all the warning passages in Scripture of those who are believers or professed believers who then go back from their profession of faith, the author of Hebrews says in verse 26 of chapter 10, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But he says, "Recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard stuff- struggling with sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those who were so treated." But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. This is a call to perseverance. This is a call to maintain the profession of faith that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And note this, it is not merely in word, but it is also in deed. It is not just saying, I believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior, now I'm going to go hide away because I don't want to face persecution for saying these things. Rather, it is standing in the face of our enemies and proclaiming without fear, without worry, without anxiousness, without saying, well, I hope they don't persecute me, and saying, I stand in my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who alone has the power to save. Now, to think about this, this is in my own strength quite impossible. This is a strong commitment that I have as a believer in the Lord. This is a strong commitment that you must have as a believer in the Lord. To stand in the face of opposition and say, I will not go back from my profession of faith. Come what may, I'm not not moving from this firm foundation that I have stood on. This is a strong commitment that all of us have as believers for, as the author of Hebrews says, if you deny Christ, you only have the expectation of judgment coming your way. And if it were up to me, amen. If it were up to me, or if it were up to you or any of us, we would fail miserably if it was up to us to maintain this profession of faith, to maintain this confession of faith in Jesus, to stand firmly in the face of our persecutors and say, there is nothing that you can tempt me with to fall away from the living God that is going to lead me to renounce my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because I have in Jesus Christ my great high priest. I have my representative. I do not need to fear you or where you might lead me to because I know that Jesus, as my great high priest, has entered into the heavens, as the author of Hebrews says. He has passed through the heavens. And because Jesus is seated, enthroned at the right hand of God the Father, I do not need to fear what man might do to me. You see, to carry out our Christian profession in a world which desperately hates us and in a battle with Satan and his demons, which is spiritual warfare, which exists at every corner in which we turn, we we need, we need resources to be able to live this Christian life. And we need resources far greater than I have the ability to give to you or to give to myself. Rather, we need the resources that alone are given to us through our faith in Jesus Christ as our great high priest. See, the author of Hebrews says "As you can continue in the faith so long as you will continue in Christ. As you continue in Christ, as Christ has said, no one shall pluck you out of my hand. We can know that our life is secure in him no matter what happens. No matter what happens to us, our life is secure in Jesus. Now, to these Jewish Christians here, they might become a little bit perplexed. Because in their system that they came out of, the Levitical system, they would say, but you know, my priest, you know, the great high priest during this time, it would have been Ananias, just prior during Jesus' day, the great high priest or the high priest would have been Caiaphas under the Levitical system. They would say, you know, my high priest is always changing. You know, my high priest, he dies. That's what author of Hebrews says in uh, chapter 5 and also in chapter 8 or or actually 9, he says, you know, these priests are good for a time for these people, but then, you know, they die and so they need another priest for the for these individuals who come out of the Levitical priesthood and now are in the priesthood after the order of Melchizedek through Christ they're going to say but what if something happens to Christ you know and when my priest died, Ananias, he's going to lose his title someday. He's going to die and someone else will take his place and, and he'll have to offer sacrifices. And, and even still, you know, when he tries to go into the presence of God, which in their system was in the temple through the veil and to pour it out on the mercy seat, you know, he goes in there and he's fearful to go into the presence of God. You know, We've got to tie a rope around him to drag him out just in case he dies being in God's presence. What if this happens to Jesus. What if this happens to Jesus? You know, what if this happens to my high priest? This might lead to a little bit of concern for the Christian coming out of this old system. And now for us, you know, maybe we don't care one way or another about an old priest, but, but we still have this, this need for a go-between between us and, and God. If Jesus died and and he did not resurrect from the grave, we have no mediator. We can't go into the presence of God. It's impossible. You cannot enter into the presence of God without your mediator. We can go into the presence of God. We have eternity promised to us, not because of who we are, but rather because Christ's righteousness has been imputed to us in order that we would be able to enter into God's presence as those who are holy in his sight. You see, what the author of Hebrews is getting at here is forget about your old priests. Forget about whoever you thought was going to bring you into the presence of God. Why? Because Jesus, as the Son of God, has passed through the heavens and He will bring you into the promised rest. Why can we place our faith in Jesus as our great high priest? Because He is not only our priest, but He is the Son of God. Namely, He is God in flesh who is seated at the right hand of the Father in His work as our great high priest. You see, Jesus himself is God, and therefore, as our great high priest, we can be certain he can bring us into God's very presence. You go back to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8. We see this statement about the Son, Jesus. It says, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Here is a clear testimony of Jesus' deity, not from any man, but rather from the Father. Jesus is the great high priest that we need, that His Son, our Savior, rules and reigns at the right hand of the Father, and we can go to Him in our great time of need. You see, it is as if the author of Hebrews is saying to his readers, there is nothing more for you to desire. Jesus is the great high priest he is the mega priest he is the awesome and excellent one therefore keep your profession of faith in him continue in him the one who is seated at the right hand of the father you see for us in our day we certainly don't face religious persecution now maybe you have and maybe it's on a small scale you go up and evangelize we'll probably get a little bit of threats and stuff but it's minuscule it's nothing nothing too serious but what we do face is this constant berating from the culture around us to hold, uh, to hold back in our profession of faith in Christ, or to keep our profession of faith to ourselves, or to, to not continue in our profession of faith because, well, that's just some old way of doing things. And, and we've evolved, right? That's what they say. We've, we've evolved. We've, we've gone past this, this old way of religion and, and trying to relate to God. We're beyond that. We're cultured. We're, we're knowledgeable. We know all of these. These things. We don't, we don't need that anymore. So you either keep that to yourself or we're going to make it hate speech or intimidate you to the point where you can't talk about it any longer. We stand in a society that hates christian christianity they hate jesus christ they hate what he teaches they hate who he is and they hate anyone who is going to proclaim his name you just go up to the boulevard or you just stand in the society or you see a celebrity or someone who has a platform who speaks positively of the name of jesus christ who is immediately going to be canceled for his testimony of faith and so what this leads people to do is to say well i'll just remain quiet i won't say anything about jesus if it's going to bother them, yeah, I'm not going to talk about him. I'm not going to do this anymore." You see, we don't, we don't need to cave into what the culture is seeking to get us to do. We don't need to hide away, you know, and only profess Christ when we come to gather for worship. But rather, in our jobs, in our family relationships, with our friends, with whomever we are, we can hold fast to our confession of faith in Christ and proclaim his name. Proclaim his name above all names wherever it is that we are, not just here when we gather together here in this church. We can proclaim it wherever. we are, we can proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. You see, the reality is for us as believers is that we are going to face trials in this life. We will. As uh, the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 14, he says, and Paul says, through many tribulations, man must enter the kingdom of God. We are going to suffer for our faith. We are going to face trials and temptations in our faith. We are going to find these times in our life where we are tempted to go back from our confession of faith. To at least, at the very least, just not magnify the name of Jesus Christ. To go back from doing the will of God. To fall back from, from professing Christ to our family members or for our friends because we're fearful of what they might say to us. We are going to fall back from our profession of faith because we do not know how to operate through the trial that we are faced with. In the trial, we may say, God, you've abandoned me. Therefore, I'm abandoning you and fall away from the faith. I have a friend, a close family member rather, who refuses to accept Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior because my grandfather died at, when he was just a young child. And he says, what kind of God would allow for a young little boy's dad to die? He says, I, I, can't, I cannot accept Christ because this trial that is faced in my life. I'd rather deny Christ because this trial that I faced was too strong. It was too, too supreme for me. I cannot, I cannot go any further. Or you hear about those individuals who recant their faith in Christ because they have caved to the cultural norms of their day. Or like Demas, who we read of in 1 Timothy, who abandoned the faith because of his love for the world. And not just money, but rather we know the world has within it these three systems or these three temptations to sin, and that is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. All of these things entice us They entice us to fall back from our profession of faith in Christ rather than continuing to press forward in our profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And at this point, as we're thinking about our trials and our temptations and and thinking about how Jesus stands as a high priest forever uh, or is seated as a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek up in the heavens, we say, what does him, being a high priest, being exalted to the throne room of God, have to do with me suffering trials and temptations in this life, We might say to ourselves, sure, it's great that He's up there in heaven. That'll be good for me when I get there. But here I am on earth suffering temptations and trials, and I have no one to help me. I can't continue on in this. I am weak. I am going to fall victim to my temptations. I am going to fall victim to the temptations and to sin and to forsake Christ. Were it not for Christ being our sympathetic high priest, that would be the lot for every single one of us. But as the author of Hebrews will go to say in his second point of why it matters that we have Jesus as our great high priest is because He can sympathize with us in our weaknesses. We do not only have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, but we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens and has come down to this earth to live this life in order that in his life and and in his life in which he died on the cross for our sins, he would not only be our Savior, but he would also be one who can sympathize with us in our weaknesses. Why? Because he faced every single temptation that we ourselves have faced. Yet, he did not sin as a result of them. You see, Jesus as our great high priest means he can sympathize with our weaknesses, meaning if we are tempted, if we are struggling, if we are saying, I can't go any further, we need only cry out to him alone for grace and mercy, and he will be able to support us in our weakness. This is verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Again, this is the second result of Jesus being our great high priest. He can sympathize with our weaknesses. Not only is He the Son of God, being God incarnate, but He is also the Son of Man, meaning He is fully human. Jesus is fully God and fully man. Therefore, in His humanity, He is able, was able to relate to all that we will ever face as it comes to trials and temptations in our life. And not only, not only does He know what it is like, but He knows how to overcome them, and He will give us the strength in our time of need. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 to 18, the author makes this point about Jesus. He says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who, through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that He helps, but He helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, He had to be made like His brothers in every respect so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because He Himself has suffered when tempted, He is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus in His humanity is able to help us in our temptations. Were it not for Jesus in being made flesh, we would never ever be able to overcome the temptations that we face. We would fall in sin constantly. But because Jesus Christ, who took on flesh, who became like one of us, like you and me, we can go to Him for strength in our times of weakness. There's another passage in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 to verse 10, when it says, "...in the days of His flesh, or His humanity, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to Him who was able to save Him from death. And He was heard because of His reverence." Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. You see, we have in Jesus one who is not unable to sympathize with us, but rather who is able to sympathize with us in every respect. And by sympathy, we don't just mean to say, oh, I'm sorry you're going through that, you know. Oh, just cheer up, right? You know, just like that, what I can do or what Job's friends tried to do, you know. Just, just feel better or stop worrying about it, right? You're struggling with anxiety. Just stop worrying about it. It doesn't help anybody, right? But Jesus, in his sympathy for us, in his sympathy for our weaknesses, is able to give us the strength that we need in the time of our need. This word sympathize means to be compassionate to the point of helping us. And by Jesus, by virtue of His humanity, He can support us in our weaknesses. And You say, in what way? Well, to keep us from sin to keep us from allowing ourselves to fall into sin because of the temptations that we are faced with. As it says in verse 15, Jesus was tempted in every way that we were, yet without sin. Therefore, Jesus, the one who overcame sin, is able to help us overcome sin in that He now lives in us through the Spirit of God and can give us the strength that we need to help in our time of need. You see, when we think about Jesus, we often think about His deity, and, and there is this doctrine which teaches the impeccability of Christ, which is true. The impeccability of Christ says that as God, Jesus was not only sinless, but He was incapable or incapable of being able to sin. He could not sin. He could not sin. And so many people say, well, this doesn't mean He, can, he can't help me. Of course, of course, He didn't sin when He was suffering with these temptations. Of course he didn't sin. He's God. God cannot sin. God cannot lie. Yet in the very real respect, the mystery is, is that even though Jesus was fully divine, he was also fully human, and in his humanity, he was able to be tempted in every way that we have been tempted yet without sin. And now mark this in your minds. The temptations that Jesus faced, even though he was tempted in the same way in which we were, the application of those temptations are much different. Jesus never was tempted to go shoot somebody with a gun. There were no guns. Jesus never was tempted to run over someone in his car because he got mad at them during traffic. He didn't have cars back then. But in the same way that sin always, always has existed, and the temptation to sin has always existed, Jesus was tempted in every single way that we were yet without sin. First John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, these three things, the temptations from the world, Jesus was tempted as we are in every way, yet he did not succumb to the temptation of those things. You see, Jesus, as He was battling the temptations that He was faced with in this world, never succumbed. He never sinned. And by that life, by His life of obedience, He was able to offer up Himself, as Hebrews 2 said, as the propitiation for our sins in order that we could be reconciled back to God. And now He lives, ever lives, to help us overcome sin in our times of temptations. You see, given what the believers are struggling with here, I think that what the author of Hebrews is seeking to help these individuals with is this idea or this reality that they do not need to fall back from their profession of faith because of persecution. Because Jesus himself faced that temptation to fall away from doing the will of God, and yet he was able to overcome that temptation and have the strength to beat that temptation to sin, which was to fall away from God's will for his life and be victorious by offering up himself on the cross. This goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. In Luke 22, we read of Jesus' temptation that the author of Hebrews is probably referring to with what we read in Hebrews chapter 5. It says, And when he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him, he came to the place, and he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them a stone's throw, and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. You see, what Jesus was faced with here was the temptation to go away or to go around the suffering of the cross. The temptation to do it some other way. The temptation to say, God, if this cup must be poured out upon me, may it be some other way. Yet, as Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. The temptation existed for Jesus to fall back from his commitment to the Father to go to the cross to be the ultimate sacrifice for sin. It existed. It existed to the point where, as we read, he sweated that that, that which looked like great drops of blood We've never been tempted to that point. We've never agonized over temptation to that point. We always give in before it gets to that point. Jesus never gave in to the temptation. Rather, His temptation became so supreme, so severe, that it was as if He was sweating great drops of blood and they were falling to the ground. Jesus is able to sympathize with our weaknesses because He Himself in the intensity of temptation, to the utmost extreme, was able to overcome that temptation and to be not only our Savior, but also the one who will give us the strength to help us in our great time of need. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to verse 4 says this same idea. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. The author of Hebrews says, persevere in the faith because you have Jesus. And not only is he seated at the right hand of the Father, but he is able to sympathize with you in your weaknesses. He knows what it means to hunger, to thirst, to weep, to be ridiculed, to be mocked, to be abandoned by his friends. And more than this, he knows what it means means to trust in God alone, even as these trials and temptations come your way. You see, He can comfort you in your weakness. As the word sympathize suggests, He will help you overcome that temptation as you are faced with it. And you might say, well, He doesn't know what it means to sin. How can He help me? We must think about it like this. When preparing to take a test, you want someone to teach you who has passed the test, not someone who has failed the test. Therefore, if we wish to have someone help us overcome temptation, we don't want to go to someone who always falls victim to their sin, right? We're dead in the trespasses of our sin. We cannot overcome our sin, but Jesus has overcome sin for us, and then we can go to him now as the one who overcame all sin, and we can ask him for the strength to forsake that sin that he himself has forsook in his own life and get, ask him for the strength to be able to persevere. As Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with a temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. There was a pastor that was preaching on this very topic, exhorting his congregation to hear these words with hearts full of faith, right? Jesus is your sympathetic high priest. If you are struggling, if you are suffering with any weakness, go to him and he will comfort you in your time of weakness. A man came up to him and and he said to him, sir, it is easy for you to say these things right now. Your life is good. It's easy for you to talk about your loving and compassionate God. But if your wife had just died, and her babies were crying for their mother who would never return home to them, you would not be able to say what it is that you are saying now. He says, you can stand here all just talking about this thing about your God, and He can supply all of your needs, and He's able to support you and encourage you. But if you were like me, who just lost my wife, and my kids are crying for their mother who's never going to come home, you wouldn't be saying what you are saying. This is often the remark of those who are suffering such terrible tragedies, right? You know, it's easy to praise God in the good times, but far be it for me to praise him in the trials. He's not there for me. If God was there for me, I wouldn't be suffering in this way. God's forgotten me. God's abandoned me. I'm not going to go to him. He doesn't care about me. Surely He's shown it. Look at my life. You know, it's always that, this idea, God does not care. God does not know my needs. God cannot help me, and so I'm not going to go to Him. Church, this is a lie from the very pit of hell, because in Jesus, we have one who can not only sympathize with our weakness, but as the author of Hebrews says in verse 16, we can go to Him with confidence that we might find that mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Verse 16, again, it says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You see, in Jesus as our great high priest, He can help us in our weakness. And you say, how can He help me in my weakness? Well, in the very spiritual sense that He exists, existing at the right hand of God the Father, serving in the heavenly sanctuary, we, by faith, can go through the Spirit to Jesus Himself in prayer and ask Him for help in our time of need. And what the author of Hebrews says is you can do that with boldness. You don't have to worry if he'll hear you. You don't have to worry if Jesus is going to say, you know, come back a little bit later. You know, I don't need to hear from you right now. He says you can go to him boldly. Go in there. Kick the door open, right, with all reverence and say, God, I am asking you for help in, our ti- in my time of need. You see, Jesus is in the heavenly abode of God, and He is seated at the right hand of the Father, at the very throne where God Himself sits, the throne of mercy and grace. That is, mercy, God, where He is able to show pity on us in our sufferings, and and grace, where God is able to give us unmerited favor, that which we don't deserve, we can ask God for, and He will give it to us because of Jesus, our great high priest who intercedes on our behalf. Now, there's some contrast that we need to draw out here from the Levitical priesthood and the priesthood of Jesus that will be also relevant for us today. You see, in the Levitical priesthood, there was only one day a year that they could enter into the throne room of God, that is where God's presence dwelt. And again, I've mentioned that was on the day of atonement or Yom Kippur. This is in Leviticus chapter 16. And there was a whole ritual behind this. The priest, the high priest, had to get himself cleansed. He had to do a number of different rituals to be able to enter into the presence of God, to take the sacrifice, the blood, for, for the, that represented all the people's sins, to pour it on the mercy seat, and then to be able to have this day of cleansing, this day of covering of their sins. It was once a year. And the high priest would go in there, and he'd get right back out because he knew he couldn't be there in there long because maybe he might sin in his thought against God. And to be in, his, uh, in the presence of God, being stained by sin would mean he was going to die. When the Korah's Rebellion took place, this is in Numbers, I think it's in Numbers, uh, or actually, yeah, I think it's Numbers 16. Uh, you can read of Korah's Rebellion. These were guys who wanted to be priests, and they said, we're going to be priests. We're going to do this. We're going to challenge God's priests, that is the Levitical order. And they said, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to offer up the same offerings and sacrifices. Come to us. We'll be your mediator mediator between God and men. What happened to them? God opened up the earth and swallowed all of them in it because they overstepped what their response responsibility was as it related to being uh, part of the people of God. Only the high priest could enter God's presence, and that was once a year, and he had to get out of there within a moment's time lest he find himself being dead standing in the presence of God. But this is not so for Jesus. You see, Jesus, when he went into the presence of God, when he went through the veil, and the veil tore when Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross for our sins, and he ascended up to the Father and entered into the throne room of God, God did not say, That is, the Father did not say to the Son, get out of here. You don't belong here. Rather, He said, sit down, My Son. You, I I am well pleased with you. You now can intercede on the behalf of the church for all time, for all time. Never once will God cast His Son out of His presence. Rather, Jesus being the eternal, spotless, holy Lamb of God gets to rule and reign at the right hand of the Father where we can always go for intercession to find the grace and mercy that we need. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 says uh, in verse, uh, actually let's read verse 23. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus always lives to make intercession for us. We never will find a time in our lives when we go to God through Jesus Christ where Jesus will say, not, not working for me today. I'm not going to talk to you today. No, He will never turn us out. He will always be able to help us in our time of need. And again, in Hebrews chapter 10, the confidence we have in prayer is that, therefore, brothers, Uh, Chapter 10, verse 19, "...since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great priest forever over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water." What he's saying in very cultic terms is that you can go into the presence of God whenever you want. You don't have to ask permission. You can go because you have Jesus as your great high priest. And so when you are suffering temptation, when you are suffering with weaknesses, when you are met with infirmities, you don't need to stay in them. You can go to God who will give you grace in the time of need. You see, this is the call to prayer in our trials. And James says to us in James 4, you have not because you ask not. Do we go to God when we suffer? Do we go to God when we are in trials? Or do we turn to our sin, which gives us somewhat of a semblance of some help? You know, it, it maybe helps take my mind off my, my weakness for a moment, but it just comes right back there. Sin doesn't help me. We go to our friends, and, and they say, well, you know, I hope you feel better. That doesn't help me. You know, you go to your mother or, or your father if they're still alive, and you say, I need a hug, and they, they hug you, and you say, well, that doesn't really help me. It doesn't take away my problems. You go to Jesus, and he is able to give you the mercy and grace to help. In time of need. You see, as the hymn says, with its word being rooted in the scriptures, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful? Who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise and forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. You see, because Jesus is our great high priest, We can hold fast to our profession of faith in him. He can sympathize with our weaknesses and we need only go to him anytime, any place, any hour, anywhere. And so the question remains for us, will we? Will we go to Jesus in our time of weakness? Will we go to the one who can give us the help that we need in our time of need? And if so, what will this grace and mercy look like? Well, in one sense, he will provide for us where we have no lack. If you are struggling, if you are facing weakness in your life, Psalm 34, verse 9 says, Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him have no lack. If we go to Jesus, our great high priest, He will be our refuge in the storm. Isaiah 25, verse 4 says, For you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm, and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against the wall. He also promises to support us and to be with us in our troubles. Isaiah 41.10 Fear not, for I am with you. Be not not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And also, He promises if we go to Him that He will preserve us and bring us to His promised rest. 2 Timothy 4.18 The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into His heavenly kingdom. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now to the one who says, like the man I mentioned earlier, Sir, you can say this with your life as it is good, but if you have just lost your wife and her children are crying for their mother, you would not be able to say such a thing as this. You could not stand here today and say Christ will support you in your weakness. Like those who are, uh, those who are the naysayers, they say there's no way, there's no way God can help someone who is suffering in such a way as that. His wife has died. His young children are at home crying for their mother. And the father can't do anything. He can't bring her back. She's dead. He cannot bring her back. He cannot comfort his children with the comfort that their mother would have comforted them with. He cannot. And so the the skeptic says, God cannot help me in this desperate condition. To that, I can only answer the way the pastor himself, who was confronted by this man, answered him a week later. You see, a week later, the story continues that the pastor's wife was also killed in a train wreck. And that pastor had his children at home. And as his bo- his pastor, or this pastor's wife's body was brought home and the funeral was underway, the pastor, at the conclusion of that memorial service, stood up there at his wife's grave and he said, to the man who was here last week who told me that if my wife was dead and my children were at home crying for their mother who I could not bring home, I can tell you today that Jesus speaks comfort to me. That Jesus has comforted me. He says, uh, the other day when I was here, a man told me that if my wife had just died and my children were crying for their mother, that I would not be able to say that Christ was understanding and sympathetic or that He was sufficient for my every need. He says, if that man is here, I wish to tell you that Christ is sufficient. My heart is broken. It is crushed. But it has a song, and Christ has put it there. I want to tell that man that Jesus Christ speaks comfort to me today. And He will do the same for you as well. He will comfort you in your weaknesses. You need only go to Him. And church, let us do that now. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank You for this day that we have to be able to just be reminded of this precious truth, this precious truth that, 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 that though we were once separated from You, that though we had placed ourselves outside of Your grace and mercy through the sacrifice of Your Son, we have been redeemed by our faith in Him. And not only are we saved, not only are we forgiven, not only are we set free, but also we have in you a comforter who will support us in our trials and our temptations. God, I pray that you would teach us what it means to go to you in prayer, to go to you in prayer through your Son, Jesus Christ, who stands forever as our priest, our mediator, our intercessor, knowing that we need not go to any earthly priest, but rather we can go straight to you, God straight to your throne room, straight to where you are as I am doing now with all boldness, with all confidence, knowing that you will hear us and answer us according to your perfect will. And so God, God, I pray that you would lead us to go to you now in prayer as we sing, as we participate in communion, as we go throughout our lives. Lord, if you are calling us to go to you in prayer with our weakness, let us lay all aside and cry out to you for grace and mercy for we know that you will hear us. We know that you will hear us through the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray these things. Amen.